All right, good morning. Uh, if you brought along a phone, I'm going to ask you to pull that out, pull out your phone. Um, if you have the Bible app or the YouVersion app, um, if you search in the tab section under Live and you search the Well Austin, there will be notes that you can follow along and have the scriptures that we're looking at for today. And there's actually a question that you can answer on there if you want to do that. Um, if you don't uh, have that app and you want to type in this link, um, and i just give you some quick insight into how messed up my brain is. I just want you to clearly know that I did not put it in in there like that, um, when we create it and import it into the system that we use, it changed the color and it made the K go on the bottom and that absolutely drives me insane. Um, so uh, just know that <laughs> there's a K at the end of it. I, it's so dumb. I don't know why it does that. Um, anyways, so let's try to move on. I'll be thinking about that all day long. Why does it do that? Um, about 10 years ago, actually it's probably been more than that, um, we, I used to live in Madison, Wisconsin for a brief time until I realized that it's super cold there and it snows a lot. And uh, so then I moved. But uh, while I was living there, there was a place that we would go and, and, and visit periodically, a place called Devil's Lake, which is completely hilarious that you're going to go there as a pastor. And we always wanted to have a baptism service at Devil's Lake, um, so I thought that would be really cool. But one of the things, let me explain how uh, the, the lake got created and some of the features by it. So um, during the glacier periods, um, the glaciers came, they dug out this lake, and it deposited, um, if you will, it pooped out these boulders everywhere. Um, and I got a couple of pictures for you. So what happened is, it's an incredibly beautiful place. So these glaciers came through, they cut out uh, a place for the lake, and then it puts in, it just kind of dropped these rocks. And some of them look like that. Some of them are, are like this. They're, some of them are the size of a car. Some of them are the size of a house. And you can kind of climb on them. That is not, That was not me in the picture, by the way. It was just a guy I found on the internet. So see, like some of them are really big. So what happens is you go and you, it's called bouldering. Let's hold off on those other pictures. But it's called bouldering. And so these guys who grew up in Wisconsin, they asked me, hey, go bouldering with me. I, I thought they said bowling. I didn't know that we're climbing on these rocks. And so what happens is in my life, when I get super, super nervous, I just start talking a lot and say stupid things. And so <laughs> that was not meant to be that funny. Um, and so I, what happened is I went from being just a regular rock climber to being this flamboyant rock climber. Like I was just saying all of these things and half of them didn't make sense. And I got really nervous and just because like there were these situations that we got into actually, um, can you go back to the very first picture? Cause I know you're not going to believe me. Um, go back, see that little, it, because of the angle, it's actually bigger, but see this little hole right here, like right there because of the angle. You can't, it doesn't look like it, but you can actually fit through there. Like it's big enough, but you kind of got to hop over there. And it's like, it's actually not very safe to do this. So we went from climbing on these little rocks and then we got to these big rocks. And I'm like, this, I might die here. Like there were a couple of times, like if I were to slip and fall, there's a good chance that I would die. And so I'm nervous and I'm talking. And then I didn't really know anything about about climbing, and, and so I started doing some research, and apparently you can do some other stuff with climbing. Put up that one picture, like, that crazy one. Like, if you know what you're doing, like, you can get these ropes, and you can, like, tie ends, which would be really smart to do, like, instead of, like, taking the risk of falling, you get these ropes, and, and you can climb in, and, and of course, you know, I didn't know that before. 
I don't actually don't know this now. I just looked it up online. Um, but you can do that, and you can like tie all these funky knots. And I was going to learn how to do them, and I was going to impress you and tie some knots. But apparently, it's harder than it looks, and takes some practice. So I didn't do that. Um, but it, it would have been nice to have these ropes into like what are those crazy things called carabiners? Whoever came up with that word, I don't. That's, that's kind of a dumb word, I think. But um, but you can do that. If you, now, the next two pictures that I'm going to show are not actually at Devil's Lake, but if you know what you're doing, you can actually do stuff like this. Like these guys, do you, do you, do you understand what's going on here? They're sleeping in a tent on the side of a cliff. That's what they're doing. They're sleeping in a, in a tent on the side of a cliff. And it's like they have these ropes and these clips and all of this stuff that holds them secure on the mountain. Now, I'm not saying that I would want to actually do that. I'm just saying, if I'm going to ever go bouldering again with these guys, I'm going to make sure that I take some ropes with me and that I can kind of get tied onto the mountain and know what I'm doing. Today, what we're going to look at in scripture is an interesting story that I think if you'll allow me to use this cheesy analogy, it actually has a lot of impact. Let's pretend for a moment that we're just using this analogy and that we are on the mountain of salvation, okay? And what we're, it's not that funny. I heard that. We're on the mountain of salvation and what happens in your life and in my life sometimes is we're afraid that if we do something or we say something or we think something that we might actually like, Either God pushes us off the mountain or that we fall off of the mountain. But we're going to look at some scripture today that actually I think helps us a lot because there's some ropes that I think that we can find in scripture that hold us on the mountain. And I think it's really going to help us. It, I think it, it helps me. I think it will really help us in, in terms of talking about what does it mean when we use the word to be saved or to have salvation? What does that mean and then what does it mean for these ropes to hold us on to this mountain? And I know, okay, I get it. It's kind of cheesy. But I think it actually will have an impact. So we're going to look at two different pieces of Scripture. <clears throat> um, in John chapter 10, we're continuing in, in chapter 10. And what I want to do is I want to start kind of at the back part of that. And we're just going to briefly look at it because we've looked at it a lot, okay, as we've been going through uh, the book of John. So it's Jesus once again claiming that he is God, Okay, which creates this dilemma and people don't like it and they're having this conversation with him over and over and, and as a result, it's not going well and they want to kill him. Okay, so, so if you would, in John chapter 10, if you would skip all the way down to verse 30 and once again, Jesus starts out uh, in verse 30 by making this claim. He says, I and the Father are one. Okay, so He's made this claim several times now. This isn't the first time, but he says, I and the Father are one. In verse 31, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So when it says the Jews, in this particular case, what it's referring to is the Jewish leaders. Um, they're not liking the things that Jesus is saying. Um, they want to get rid of him. Um, matter of fact, it says clearly right there that they want to stone him, that it's not going really well. So in verse 32, Jesus answered them, and I absolutely love his answer. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? I mean, that's just like, he's like, how cool is that? He's like, the Father's shown me a lot of stuff to show you. 
which one of those great things from the Father are you going to stone me for? Like, I find that, I'm, I know it's just my sick brain, but I find that hilarious. He's like, for which one of these great things that comes from God are you going to stone me for? Like, to me, that's hilarious. And if you don't laugh, then you just need to repent because that's funny. <laughs> Verse 33, the Jews answered him, those Jewish leaders answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They're like, okay, you've been doing some stuff, and it's kind of cool, but that's not why we're upset. We're not upset because of the things that you're doing. We're upset because you're claiming to be God. That's why we're going to kill you. So that's the conversation that they're having. Um, Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? So he's about to quote scripture, okay? So in, when you look in your Bible or when you're looking on version, there's a quote there. It says, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods with a little g, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of God. I am not doing the works of my father. I, I am not doing the works of my father. Then do, I, do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you... Do not believe me, believe in the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So at the beginning there, he quotes one particular piece of scripture, uh, Psalm 82.6 is what he's quoting and what he's referring to there. So it says, um, um, I said you are gods. He's referring to uh, the judges being referred to as little g gods because they're performing the duty of God. So he said, if these guys who are simply performing the duties or, or some, some responsibilities or some actions, if they're being able to be called God, shouldn't I, who's coming from the Father, shouldn't I be able to say that I am God? So they're having this interesting conversation. Verse 40. Verse 39, I skipped that. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So they're having this conversation. They want to kill him. He escapes. Verse 40. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So basically what's going on is he's hanging out. Um, religious people don't like the things that he's saying, don't like the things that he's doing, and they just don't believe that he is who he says he is. And they continually ask him, tell us once more. And we're going to look at it again in a minute. Tell us once more, who really are you? And he's like, I'm God. And they don't like it. And so essentially what happens is he goes away to another place and what we see is some people believe and they worship and follow him. Some people don't. 
And so it creates this interesting dilemma. So that's the back half. If you want to know more about this, as we've gone through the book of John, we've, we've touched on this, that Jesus and the Father are one multiple times. You can go on SoundCloud and you can listen to uh, several of those messages that deal with that. And so if you want to know some more about that, I want to encourage you to do that. But I want to skip now back up to verse 22 and, and start looking at something specific. And we're going to talk about what I think are three ropes that these verses uh, kind of help us see how we can be tied in to the mountain so we can be secure and not have this great fear that sometimes we deal with, okay? So verse 22, it says, at the time of the Feast of Dedication, um, which is also known as the Festival of Lights, or many of you may have heard uh, about Hanukkah, okay? So that's what's going on here. It says, at the, time, uh, at the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, so it was, it was kind of cold. Verse 23, it says, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So he's kind of over on the side. Um, he's a little protected from the weather, and that's why he's there. Verse 24, it says, so the Jews... Jews, again, these religious leaders who don't like him, who want to kill him, um, gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, he's told them plainly before, okay? But they're like, okay, let's try this one more time. If you really, really are the Messiah, really, 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 tell me. He's told them before. Like it's not, so they're having this conversation and they've had this conversation before, but they want to know again. And so the first rope that we're going to look at comes in the next verse following. Um, And I think that these ropes will help us begin to secure ourselves on the mountain. Now, I'm talking to two different groups of people. And I realize that, but I think what I'm about to talk about applies to everyone, okay? So if you're at a place in your life where you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, then the things that we're going to talk about, these three ropes, are going to bring you comfort and security. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you just came here today because somebody forced you or they were going to buy you free lunch or you just wanted to come check it out, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then this gives you great insight into why following Jesus is such a great deal. So I still want, even, I want everybody to pay attention. I want everybody to follow along, okay? So, so the first rope is simply know that you are known. You and I need to know that we're known. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe me. So he's, again, answering their question, but he says, I told you and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, if you haven't been here the past two weeks, you missed two weeks of talk about sheep and shepherds, okay? So I want to encourage you, we don't have time to necessarily go into all of it again, but I want to encourage you, you can go back, listen on SoundCloud to the past two weeks about sheep and shepherds. Um, I think it's rather informative. Um, I learned a lot, uh, so I want to encourage you to go do that. But basically what he's saying here is, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he's like, the reason that you don't get what's going on is because you don't belong to me. You're not following me. You're not hearing my voice. And I want you to specifically look <clears throat> in verse 27 at one particular word. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I, what does it say? I know them. Now, on the surface, you and I might think, well, 
Jesus, he's, if he's a divine being, he knows everybody, right? He just knows everybody. That's not specifically what it's talking about. I mean, yes, that statement is true, but that's not what he's talking about. That particular word there um, is referring to like a special, a unique, an exclusive relationship when it says no. That's what it's talking about. So when you see that word, we're tempted to think, well, yeah, he knows everybody, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a special, unique, exclusive relationship. And this word is used other times in Scripture. Um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam and Eve, his wife, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So it's used the same word there, an exclusive, special relationship. Okay? The husband and the wife. Are, Are we on the same page there, or do I need to elaborate? Okay, good, good. So, so that's what it's talking about, the knowing. It's this special, unique, exclusive relationship. And then there's another place in Matthew that's a little bit troubling, honestly. But Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 22 and 23, it uses the same, the same word. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, let me break this down for you for a moment. There's, this is what they're saying. Like, it's, it's judgment day. They're standing before Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, look at the stuff that we did. We went to the well. That's, we went to the well, and we heard Tory preach, and it was awesome. And we served some homeless people, and it was great. I read the Bible in a year. Wasn't that cool? And he says, but I don't know you. Depart from me. And so basically what's going on here is, what Jesus is saying is, it's not enough to just know who Jesus is. The bigger question is, the question shouldn't be, do you know who Jesus is? The question should be, does he know you? Does he know you? And when we use the word know, we're not just saying, is he aware of you? We're saying, does he have this special, unique, exclusive relationship with you? That's what it means. And so when we talk about know that you are known, you need to know that you're known. I think we all like this, like to, to be known. Like, we all desire to be known on some level. I've had the honor and privilege to live in many different cities. And I've discovered something that that I find, you probably won't think this is nearly as exciting as I do. But I find, so when when I move to a new city, and you're there for a while, and you meet a few people here and there, and, and you start to build some relationships, and that's all great, and that's all good. But there's a moment. There's a moment when something happens, and you feel like, oh. How cool is that? And I know you're about to laugh at me, but I'm okay with it. You're in the grocery store, and you're shopping for groceries, and out of nowhere, somebody says, hey, Bob, and somebody knows you. You you finally feel like, this is my city. Somebody knows me. Like, we all like to be known. Like, it's a big deal. And so when you move to a new city, and you run into somebody in the grocery store, and they actually know you, you're like, oh. I like to be known. And we also have this fear of being known. Because if somebody really knows everything about us, will they really like us? 
And so what we're talking about here is this first rope that holds us onto the the mountain of salvation, if you will, with my cheesy analogy, is that it's important to know that you're known. It's important to know that Jesus knows who you are, that he has this special, exclusive relationship with you. And so that's the first rope, and I think that that's why it's really, really important. Matter of fact, in the very beginning of John, it's been a long time uh, since we've been there, but John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Like when you say yes to Jesus, when you say, I want to follow him, he's like, you're my child. Now, for those of you that don't have children, like this is a difficult thing maybe for you to wrap your head around a bit, but when you do have children, it is incredibly difficult to unknow them. Like there may be times when you want to unknow them, but it's incredibly difficult to unknow them. And so what's happening here is Jesus is saying, when you say yes to me, when you follow me, I know you. And you should always remember that I know you. And that's one of the ropes that will hold you secure and know that you're not going to fall off of this mountain. So that's the first thing. The second thing is trust your security. This one gets a little bit challenging, but trust your security. John chapter 10, verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish And then it says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So I know what some of you are immediately thinking, um, and you're probably thinking correctly, this is what I'm saying. So I'll just ask the question for you. So So you're thinking, Bob, are you saying that when somebody says yes to Jesus, that there is absolutely nothing that they can do that would cause them to lose their salvation, to fall off the mountain, if you will. Yes, that's what I'm saying. With, but, but before you already break out your phones and start emailing me and you know, saying, well, what about this and how about this and what about this? I want you to think about this, okay? Look, look, I want you to think about this. The way that this happens is simply this. The Bible's, and we're not going to look at it all today. If you want more info, I can give you more info. But the Bible also specifically talks about when someone encounters grace, that they actually are changed. Okay? So when you encounter grace and you actually follow, when you say you follow Jesus, that means you actually follow Jesus. So when you encounter grace, you're going to be changed. You're going to be different. You're going to be, does that mean that you never make a mistake? Does that mean that you never mess up or mess up really bad? No, you're going to mess up. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about knowing that you're secure. And what happens is, what typically happens is, you and I spend way too much time focusing on the badness, is that a real word? The badness of our sin, and we forget to look at the goodness and the greatness of God that actually provides us forgiveness. That's what we do. We spend so much time thinking, my friend is really bad when we're really talking about us. But my friend is really bad. Or I know the things that I've done in the past. I know the things that I might be doing now. Or I know the things that I will do in the future. 
And the reality is we spend so much time focusing on us that we never actually focus on the greatness of God and the power of his grace and the power of his mercy and the way that he forgives us. And so the question that you need to be asking yourself is simply this. Is this sin, and we all have them, right? Is this sin that I'm struggling with right now, is this sin greater than the death of Jesus on the cross? And let me give you a a heads up. The answer is no. The answer is no. But we get so focused on our sin that we miss the greatness of Jesus and the power of his forgiveness. And so when he talks about knowing your security, I think it's really important to understand that. And what ha- here's what happens. Satan also uses this as a tool Because he knows that you have this specific sin in your life and he starts holding up this magnifying glass and he starts making it bigger than it really should be and you completely miss out on the cross and you completely miss out on the sacrifice of Jesus and you're so focused on this thing and you're like, there's no way that Jesus could actually love me. And when I say, we all know this intuitively but we don't talk about it very often. When I say sin, you realize what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the things that we casually talk about with each other. I can't believe the things that I said when I was driving in the car yesterday. I'm not talking about those sins, though those count, (laughs) okay? I'm talking about the ones that we don't want anybody to know about. Like we intuitively, we know this, and that's why we don't talk about them. And we begin to let Satan hold up a magnifying glass and we see it over and over and over and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and before long it completely blocks out our view of the cross and what Jesus did for us. Do you see what I'm talking about there? And so when we talk about security um, and not falling off the mountain, if you will, I think it's important to understand exactly what we're talking about. Grace changes you. Does it mean that you're perfect? No. Will you mess up? Yes. But I want you to understand that Jesus died for your screw-ups and mine. In the past, in the present, in the future. Here's what happens, though, in church, right? Here's what's wrong. This sounds way worse than I mean it. Here's what's wrong with church. What's wrong with church is we think if we can just get somebody to walk to the front and say a prayer, then everything will be okay. And that's not what we're talking about. It's not come and say this prayer and then you can go do whatever you want. It's begin to see the grace of Jesus and when you follow Jesus, it changes your life. And when you follow Jesus and it changes your life, it doesn't mean that you won't trip. It doesn't mean that you won't stumble. But what I want you to see today is one of the ropes that holds us secure is that specific verse. And it says, Jesus, this is Jesus. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You're secure. If you've said yes to the grace of Jesus, he's pursued you. He says, let me offer you grace. And you're like, wow, that's a good deal. (laughs) Now change me, make me more like you. Romans chapter 6, in verse 10 it says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. The third rope that I want you to begin to understand or realize is that realize that you're a gift. 
And we are going to struggle with this one, but I want you to pay, like if you haven't paid attention at all, I want you to pay attention to this. Realize you are a gift. In verse 29, look what it says. My father, so this is Jesus talking. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one will be able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Like, if you're not good or or you don't practice or you don't like memorizing scripture, this would be a good one to memorize. Verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So what does it say? My Father. So Jesus, okay, this gets a little bit like smoke starts to come out of my ears a little bit thinking about this because it, it, it hurts a little bit, okay? But I want us to try, okay? Look, so what is, what is, does anybody remember? Can we have a pop quiz? Does anybody remember what verse 30 says? Don't look. What does verse 30 say? I and the Father are one, okay? So verse 29, so we did, it back, we did it a little bit backwards, and so maybe that's why it's hard. But, look, but it says, so Jesus says, my Father, which he's talking about whom? He's talking about God. But if him and God are one, he's talking about himself. Like, it's kind of confusing. Like, it's like, but he's talking about himself. He's talking about God. So God the Father who has given them to me. So think about this. So God gives to Jesus the gift of what it's referring to is God the Father says to Jesus the Son, I would like for you to have these souls. Okay? I would like for you to have these souls. He gives him a gift. Essentially, he's also giving himself a gift. But, but So God the Father gives Jesus a gift of these souls. Like he gives them a gift. And I want you to think about this. If God gives you a gift, like how much are you going to cherish it? Like how much value does it have? How much meaning does it have? If God gives you a gift, it's a big deal, right? And it says, my father who has given them to me, these souls, he's greater than all. And no one is able to take them out of my father's hand. God gives him a gift of me and you. Like it's, it's, it's difficult, I think, I think, this is a difficult concept to grasp. And it's one thing to like read about it and think about it, but it's completely different to like feel it, right? And so I was trying to figure out how can we feel this so that we can begin to understand it. And so what I wanted to do with you for the next few moments, if you'll just humor me, I'm gonna show you and share with you one of my, maybe my most valued possession. Like, it's worth a lot of money. Okay? So I want to I tell you the story about it, and I want to share it with you. Um, this. And I already hear you laughing. Again, some of you are like, there ain't no way that that's worth any money. I want you to understand what this is. When I was a little kid, from the time I can remember, like I, I don't know when you remember your earliest memories. My, my grandparents, they lived in Oklahoma, and they lived out in a, like on a farm. Like, and when I, like, like, 
when I say a farm, you need to understand what I mean, boy, when I say a farm. Like, it's not, it's not a farm like you and I think now a farm. It's like a farm, like, they didn't have any actual currency. All they had was, like, crops and animals, right? And so when it was time to eat, you, like, went and caught a chicken. You went to the garden and pulled up something. Like, that, or do you, you see what I'm saying? Like, when I say farm, that's the kind of farm that they lived on. And their house was up on a hill, and so as a little kid, I remember driving to their house, and sometimes we would leave like late after school one night, um, and it would take us a long time to get there, and sometimes we might get, not get there until like 1 o'clock in the morning. And when you would turn into my grandparents' driveway, so you're on this little bitty road in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. I'm about to give you a name, and none of you have ever heard of it, and if you have, come find me afterwards, and I'll give you a dollar. But... Is, is in the, the closest town is called Corn, Oklahoma, okay? And... <laughs> It really is. You think I'm making that up. And, is in the, and, and you need to understand, when I say town, I mean like there's just a cluster of people that live there. Like there's no businesses or anything. It's like, so I don't even know if that counts as a town. <clears throat> the, so there's this little bitty road. You turn onto their driveway, and their house is up on a hill, and you start to climb up this hill. And every time we would go to my grandparents' house, didn't matter if it was 1 o'clock in the morning when we got there. It didn't matter if it was three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know how she could do this. Every single time when we would turn on to their driveway and start heading up the driveway to their house, she would be standing at her sink. And the window went like right down the road. Like, am I being able to paint? I don't know if I can even paint this picture. You turn and the house is there and their kitchen window, like there's a sink, kitchen window, and she's looking out and it's like she's waiting for us. Always. And this clock is right there. Now, from the road, it looks like this. But it's right there. And believe it or not, this actually still works. Like if you plug it in, well, it doesn't work the way, exactly the way it's supposed to. In the beginning, when we would drive there, what happens is when you plug it in, this little piece right here on the top, it I think the word is percolate, right? Um, this light comes on and it kind of blinks and it's supposed to make it look like it's making coffee, right? And so this light is orange right here. And you could see it. I could, we would turn in the driveway and I could see her standing there. And I could see this light. I couldn't see the clock, but I could see the light. It was lighting up and it would light up her face. And I could see it. And after my grandmother passed away, you know, you do what you kind of, typically do and everybody's sitting around telling stories and I, I started telling the story about how I don't know how she had this ability to always be at the kitchen window and always be standing there every time when we would turn in regardless of what time it was she was always there and so I was telling the story and the next day my uncle comes and he gives me this and he said I want you to have it is it worth anything Maybe not to you, but to me it's invaluable. And let me tell you something. After church, if you try to take this, like typically I'm more of a lover than a fighter. <laughs> but if you try to take this, you know what's going to happen? We're going to have problems. We, you and I will have problems. This was a gift that means a lot to me. And it, don't miss this. If this stupid clock would mean that much to me, 
because it was a gift that was important. How much more would the souls of people be important to Jesus because who gave them to him? God the Father. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a big freaking deal. And so when we start talking about know that you're known, when we start talking about understanding your security, and we start talking about these three ropes, here's what I hope. I hope that you're haunted by this in some sort of way. And so I gave you a little piece of rope. And here's what I hope. I hope that at some point you put this piece of rope somewhere, or even if you lose it, every time from now on that you see a piece of rope. I pray that you're reminded of these three ropes that if you've said yes to Jesus can hold you secure to the mountain of salvation. That you would remember that, you are, that it's good to be known. You know that you're known that you have a, an exclusive relationship, okay? That you would remember that you're secure in that. And that you would remember that you're a gift, that God gave your soul to Jesus. And so he's gonna, keep, he's gonna make sure that he takes care of you, that he's gonna keep you, that he's gonna hold you secure to the mountain. Like, I hope that that makes sense. I want you to look real quick what it says. John chapter six, verse 39 like if you didn't pay attention to anything today, I want you to hear this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What was given to Jesus? What a, to, a lot of things. But what was given to Jesus that we talked about today? Your soul. And it says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. And I... As weird as it sounds, God, I am so thankful that a stupid clock can give me some perspective on how much you love me. And so, God, I pray that somehow, some way, the things that we talked about today, that you would begin to impact our life. And as we continue to pray this morning, I want you to understand, for those of you that have said yes to Jesus that you grasp at least a little bit of his grace and some of his grace changed, rubbed off on you and changed you. I want you to know that you're known, that you have a, a special, a unique, an exclusive relationship. I want you to trust in the security when Jesus says that no one can snatch you out of his hand. And I want you to realize that you're a precious gift given to the Son from the Father. And if you came today and you've never actually said yes to Jesus, like you've never, maybe you've never really understood what it meant to have grace offered to you, I pray that today you see what it really is like when Jesus begins to maybe even at this moment press in upon you. He's saying to you, this is what I offer you.
forgiveness of your sin. Just simply say yes to him. Yes to his grace. Jesus, today I pray that we would be overwhelmed with your grace. How much you love us. How much you give us these ropes that help us to be secure in our salvation. And I pray that we would begin to understand that following you or, or saying yes to you is much more than a prayer, but it's being impacted by grace. And yes, we live out of obedience, not because of uh, we think that we have to or we get kicked off the mountain, but we do it because we see how much you love us and we just simply respond out of obedience because you change us and we, you make us more like you. And God, I pray that from now on, every time we see a rope, we would be reminded of your grace. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.